Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. another episode of chats on the blog cabin you know the the show where i invite people virtually into the blog cabin to chat about life and today we're chatting all about audio storytelling and we're chatting with evan evan is a host and creator of vanishing postcards which was named one of the best podcasts of 2021 by digital trends so thank you evan for coming on the show and before we start chatting about your podcast tell us a little about yourself Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a great uh, pleasure to sit down with you here at the blog cabin. Um, so yes, I'm talking to you today from New York City. So if you hear some uh, sirens outside, I mean, that's just part of the way that, uh, that that's part of the way of life up here. Um, but uh, I've, I've lived in New York long enough. I've earned the right to call myself a New Yorker for whenever I'm in the mood to do so. Um, that said, I am also one of a proud few who can claim to have been born and bred in the city of Austin, Texas. Um, I go back in Texas for many generations. Um, so I, I will always, I, I am a proud Texan. I'll probably die in Texas. So I, I like to think of myself as bicultural. Um, I get to borrow a little bit of the best of, of both worlds. Um, the reason for my move up here to New York was pretty simple. Um, I'm an actor. Um, Figured this was the place to go for that. Uh, came up here for school, ended up staying. Um, and, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to perform on a lot of really great stages here in the city. But um, as we had discussed at the beginning, um, my latest endeavor is a podcast called Vanishing Postcards. Um, basically, um, if I describe the series, it's the product of a 1500 mile Texas road trip. And um, through the series, listeners are really invited to join me on a journey exploring the hidden dive traditions and frequently threatened histories you'll discover by exiting the interstates. Um, in many ways, it's kind of a 180 from a lot of the work I was doing up until this point. I think had you told me a number of years ago that I'd be working on a podcast and devoting so much of my time and energy to, to this, I'd say, well, what are you talking about? Um, but at the same time, I think that everything I've done up until this point has really kind of prepared me beautifully for this journey. Um, and um, at the same time, I think when I look at the body of my work as a whole, this is probably the best work I've ever created. Um, it's been a really rewarding journey. And um, as I embarked on so much of this adventure as a solo traveler, I'm really grateful um, that it's now out there in the world. And I feel like I can now invite people to join me and experience some of the great things I got to do along the way. I love that. You know, when you started talking about the little towns outside, outside the interstate, I kept thinking about the movie Cars because that was basically based on, you know, them going out and finding that little town. So that's the first thing that popped in my mind when you talked about that. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I I I haven't seen the movie Cars yet, but it's it's actually on my to-do list uh, concerning because I'm interested in expanding the map beyond Texas for season two. And I know that route 66 was integral uh, to the movie cars and route 66 just might be on my horizon. So let's talk about why did, how did you come up with the idea of doing this podcast? Because that's not something that you see a lot of people do. Well, yeah, and it, it was a very, it wasn't as if I got like this lightning bolt of inspiration and this kind of like, you know, idea just, you know, came to me. Um, it, it was a slow evolution. I mean, like so many people over the last 10 years, I'm someone who's just absolutely fallen in love with um, podcasts and the you know, medium of audio storytelling. Um, you know, I really think that the gateway drug for me in a lot of ways uh, was the program, The Moth. I mean, that's just a show where people get up um, and they tell personal stories without notes. Um, and, you know, you maybe start listening to that while you're doing some cooking or chores around the house and you discover other podcasts along the way. Um, I'm a great fan there of the uh, the Kitchen Sisters. Um, they go around the country collecting oral histories, which are just fantastic. Um, you know, you must remember this. That's a terrific podcast about classic Hollywood. There's one called Cocaine and Rhinestones. It's all about uh, the history of country music. Um, and um, around this time too, the YouTube algorithm kept suggesting. Um, travel videos. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I never really, f I would always watch them, but I never really quite felt like I saw the way that I like to travel represented um, in a lot of them. Um, certainly not the case with all, but I think with a lot of travel bloggers nowadays, you'll find that it's a lot less about the place and much mm -hmm. more about look at me and how cute I am mm -hmm. in this place. And I just kind of started, you know, hearing these whispers that you know, maybe, maybe I could try my hand at, at doing something um, with this all. Um, and so in January of 2020, um, I grabbed a microphone. Uh, I went back home to Texas um, just to kind of see what I co could collect as part of an experiment. Um, it wasn't necessarily like I embarked to do a series. I mean, I, it, it very well could have ended up in disaster, but I did have a few ideas for stories that I was um, interested and curious to, to see about getting. Um, but I found that I ended up in, in a groove and alignment with this uh, pretty early on. And um, the project revealed itself to me as Vanishing Postcards. I mean, I didn't have a title or you know anything totally clear when I started going. But the reason that I titled the series Vanishing Postcards is because I took a step back and I realized that each episode I have is a snapshot of a different place. And what is that? That's a past postcard. And if there is a common thread that all of the places have in common, it's that you don't know how much longer a lot of them are gonna be around. Um, they're really representative of broader cultural histories, um, threatened traditions. Um, and it, it's really about exploring all of that. So tell us how you um, record these episodes, because it seems like you really, you have to be on the road to pretty much record them, right? Yes. Well, it, it yes, absolutely. And it's it's been interesting because I did start, um, I started to work on this project before the pandemic hit. And back then I could really just walk into a bar 
or a restaurant or whatever and just start talking to people. Um, and um, it, and that's the first several episodes that you will hear. That's that's really exactly what it is. I mean, most people had no idea um, that I was going to show up, um, and I didn't do that to ambush anyone. Um, it was just I found um, it was better as opposed to like getting on the call, get, getting on a phone and saying, "Hey, you know, is it okay if I stop by to, to talk to you?" It was better if I, I, you know, show up at these places first, you know, order a beer, just start talking, explain myself, then pull out the microphone. Um, that changed a bit. Um, so, so yes, it, it really is just me. Um, and my microphone and my software, that's it. Um, COVID absolutely changed uh, a lot of what I could do. Um, I definitely was very cognizant about precautions. You, you had to tell people in advance. Um, it also changed a lot of the places that I could go to. Um, so many of the places I was initially going to were understandably closed uh, because of the pandemic altogether. Um, so I did have to call in advance, tell people that I was gonna show up. Um, and, you know, maybe there are fewer people interviewed, but at the same time, because of that, I had to do a lot more um, in the way of pre-research. And I think you'll find as the series progresses, um, listeners get to know the subjects a bit more intimately. And I think um, there's also just greater diversity um, in terms of subject and location explored as the, uh, as the season progresses. So let's talk about the diversity and the subjects that you explore on your podcast, because I mm -hmm. think that's great. Sure. Um, so it's, it, it, as I said, um, I ended up covering about 1,500 miles worth of Texas. And I think that each episode really informs the other. Um, you know, it, it, again, it wasn't like I had a bro I, I knew everything that I was going to do in advance. Um, not at all. Um, basically, I would take a look and, for, for instance, um, you know, my first episode was on a dive bar. After that, I did uh, an episode on a dance hall. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, you know, so what, what, what's a honky tonk? What is the difference between mm. a dance hall and a honky tonk? Um, and so I found a honky tonk so that I could uh, get into that. Um, and um, then, you know, I wanted to explore some, I mean, and you know, I, I wanted to make certain that there was good cultural diversity um, in the, the season as well. Um, you know, the border is a place that we hear a lot about um, in the news, but what's often lost in that noise um, is just the incredible culture uh, and the remarkable people that exist down there. Um, and so I, I knew that I wanted to do a piece on uh, Conjunto, uh, which is the incredible music that exists down there. That basically in the early 20th centuries, the Mexican laborers heard the polkas that were brought to Texas by the Germans and the Czechs. And they took those melodies and they gave their Spanish lyrics to mm -hmm. them. Um, and I went to a town called San Benito, Texas, which is about 18 miles north of the border. Um, which really was the birthplace of Conjunto. And I met this uh, family um, whose you know, recently deceased patriarch had built this entire museum dedicated to Conjunto. Um, and so, you know, I have that represented. While I, while I was down there, I heard that there was a terrific place for barbacoa. Um, barbacoa is a traditional Mexican, you know, it's Mexican barbecue, but this guy who's cooking it is the only guy who's legally um, allowed to cook barbacoa as it was meant, meaning he's cooking it out of a pit in the ground in what had been the backyard of his childhood home. Um, and so, you know, you, you look at stuff like this and then you think, okay, well, maybe we need something funny 
right now. Let's let's mm -hmm. see what kind of quirky characters we can find. Um, you know, I have pieces on country stores. I have a piece um, that was I, Central Texas is known for. Um, well, r right now, basically. Uh, Central Texas is, is experiencing kind of like this explosion of wineries, but what that land is historically great for and, you know, historically known for are peaches and, you know, peaches are getting harder to find, you know, not, not everyone is coming in, people are coming in to start wineries, but no one is coming in to start peach orchards. And so I found some of the old peach growing families to mm -hmm. speak with. Um, and that's really just kind of how um, everything evolved. You know, I would say, you know, is there a region that I need to focus on? Let's go to Galveston and get some seaside culture. And um, that's really how everything evolved. So how did you go about finding these places? Just word of mouth, basically? Word of mouth. I mean, a lot of, you know, internet, Google, rabbit hole. I mean, the, the internet certainly makes this much easier um, than it would have been back in the day. Um, but yes, I mean, really, it was just kind of thinking about what I was interested in and just looking to see what might be out there. Um, you know, there were some instances where, you know, I had ideas for, you know, certain pieces I'd like to do. Then you discover, well, you know, that would have been good. But two weeks ago, that man died. You know, it was, mm -hmm. so a, a lot of stuff like that uh, happened as, as, as I was figuring this all out. And, you know, you'd read about these places. Turns out, nope, nope, they, they, they closed just, you know, a few months ago. <laughs> but it was a, it was a great um, adventure. Wow. And I really want to hear more about the adventures that you went on. But right now we need to take a brief commercial break. You got it. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Hi, I'm Stratton Leopold from Leopold's Ice Cream in Savannah, Georgia. 11 years ago, we started the I Pledge Project, giving children who can recite the Pledge of Allegiance from memory a free scoop of ice cream. So join us. Over 200 shops across the country have over the last 11 years. Join us in July, National Ice Cream Month, and Independence Day for iPledgeforIceCream.com. And we are back. Speaking of ice cream, have you ever interviewed anybody that's related to ice cream? I don't think so. I, I love ice cream, though. Who doesn't? Yeah. So let's talk about what you got from going to all these places and learning people's story. How well, has that changed you? I mean, it. people often ask me if um, I encountered much in the way of resistance. Um, and sure, I mean, there were, you'd get occasional no's here and there, but for the most part, I found that people really were eager uh, to share their stories and they were greatly honored um, by the fact that um, someone had taken an interest to, you know, just kind of go learn about what these places were about, learn about their histories, traditions. Um, you know, I, I think that so much of this um, series is is kind of meant in, in protest of maybe a little bit of Instagram tourism. Um, you know, the places that I'm going to are really, you're not going to be reading about them in glossy magazines. Um, and I, I think that's important because often when we think about art and culture, um, you know, we immediately think about palaces of civilization like the Met in New York City, the British Museum, the Louvre, the Prado. Um, but culture, art and culture is everywhere. 
And what's more, some of the best you will discover, you know, are coming out of places that get the least amount of attention. You know, Clarksdale, Mississippi gave us the blues. Detroit gave us Motown. Um, and I think that's really something that's important to remember. And especially right now, I mean, we're, we're dealing with a, we're living through a very perilous um polarized, divided moment. Um, but I think right now, when you look at the world, um, art and culture is one of the rare areas of agreement. You know, it, it's, it provides an avenue for a shared ex experience. And it's really, uh, this series is all about celebrating just that. Um, and conversely, I mean, if we can't um, honor, celebrate and recognize what is beautiful, um, about our small towns and rural communities. How can we expect them to appreciate what is good and beautiful about places like New York and San Francisco and, and Austin and, and whatnot? Yeah, that is so true. And a lot of times it's the local people that know the best places to go. And even though, like you said, the dive bars and someplace hole in the wall places, like for instance, my husband's a native of Mexico. So the hole in the wall places are actually the best places that you can get authentic Mexican food. Absolutely. And you'll discover when you go to these places that it's just, you're going to find a community the, 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 that exists in these places that you're just not going to find at your typical chain. You know, you just aren't. Um, you know, you will find that you will get welcomed in these places and you're, people are eager to tell you about what you can see and do that you're just not going to, that, that aren't easily found, but are just, mm -hmm. just hidden treasures. So how long did it take you to do your season one? Did you go multiple trips to Texas or did you do it all in pretty much one, one city? So it's a very interesting story. Basically what happened is um, I started, you know, playing around as kind of an experiment. January, February, I, you know, knocked about six episodes out. Um, and I, you know, was really pleased with what I got. I knew that I wanted to continue. Um, I came back to New York and I left town on uh, March 8th of 2020 for what was to have been a 10 day family vacation to Mexico. And um, during that time, uh, you know, COVID hit, realized, well, probably not the best idea to come back to New York. So I ended up making a detour to Texas. Um, I was twiddling my thumbs for, you know, for a little while there. Uh, miraculously through serendipity, the series initially got picked up by a network uh, that requested 16 episodes. So um, I set about fulfilling uh, that episode order over the summer um, during the pandemic, uh, which was, you know, uh, certainly interesting and, and challenging in and of itself. Um, as, as, as is often the case in business, you know, that deal uh, ultimately didn't come to fruition. Um, but uh, I definitely feel as if the circumstances of the pandemic enabled me to, you know, devote so much of my energy to this product. Um, in many ways, the, um, the, the project um, is a, a product of the pandemic. Um, so, I mean, I assembled it, um, you know, I would kind of do it in chunks, you know, I would hit the road for a few weeks at a time and then, you know, take a break, you know, assemble my materials, materials, figure out what else was needed. And then, you know, I'd, I'd go on. Um, and it just took me a long time as, as I have released independently. Um, it, it really just, you know, I, I think what took me longer than anything else was um, 
you know, just kind of learning, how, getting good strategies in place in terms of re in independent release and, and, and everything. Um, you know, probably, um, you know, it, it would get easier and easier for me to put to these episodes together. If I were to estimate, I mean, maybe each episode takes like about 10 days. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just kind of like a ballpark estimate, I'd say. So does your episode just focus on one particular town, one particular person in the town, or like the whole thing that the town can offer our surrounding communities? Well, it, no, I mean, they, they, they vary. Um, the episodes vary. I mean, and, and really I do try to get as specific as, as I can, um, you know, like the, but basically for, for instance, the first episode is about this dive bar in Austin called the Dry Creek Cafe. Um, it was opened in 1952. Um, when it was basically beyond the edge of town, it was countryside. You go there now, um, it, it's it's a dilapidated shack that is now surrounded by mansions. Um, it, is, it, it was initially built for cedar choppers who were an Appalachian subculture that migrated down to central Texas. Um, and so I really kind of used this bar as a way to explore the layers of history that, um, you know, people are often unaware of. You know, I used it as an opportunity mm -hmm. to, um, I spoke to a man who wrote a book um, about the cedar choppers. Um, then um, the other layer of history is that it be, you know, became a big hangout for the hippies in the 60s and 70s, um, which provided an opportunity to explore um, Austin's rich musical history. Um, I interviewed a terrific uh, local legend of a musician by the name of Bobby Earl Smith, who wrote a song all about the place. Um, and, you know, I talked to the bartender there, Angel, who, you know, as I said, the place opened in 1952 or 53. Um, she's only the third, she was only, at the time that I spoke with her, she was only the third bartender to ever work there. Um, wow. So it, it's really kind of, um, more than anything, I'm, I'm looking at um, specific places um, in the towns and the broader histories uh, that they represent. Uh, but every episode is certainly different. Um, you know, there, there are some, you know, for instance, I, I have a piece coming out on country stores where I went to two different country stores on opposite ends of central Texas um, and got very different stories and histories from, mm. from both of those places. Um, I did another one, you know, the, the, I referenced the barbacoa earlier, but I paired that with you know, so I talk about barbacoa in Brownsville versus, you know, the Tex-Mex puffy tacos you'll find in San Antonio. Um, but so that's, it, you know, it, it definitely it, it definitely varies. But I wouldn't I, I, I would hesitate to call it a travel series. Uh, I mean, this is much more of a, a, a people series uh, mm -hmm. that is the product of, of my travels. I love that because a lot of times people only focus on things that are flashy, shiny, brand new, things that look good in pictures and not the stories behind all this. I love antique stuff and I love going to older homes and older places. Whereas my husband's like, no, I'd rather not even try that right now. Except <laughs> unless it's Mexican food, then he'll try it. Uh, well, I, I'm with him on that one, believe me. So how did you get to be number one, named one of the best podcasts of 2021 by Digital Trends? Because that's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, they, uh, you know, they 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 liked what they heard um i mean it was just simple i mean i don't think there was anything special about it i mean i found um you know i did some research on who's reviewing a podcast and whatnot and i submitted and they they chose it um but since then i've i've been blessed to receive a lot of excellent press as well in publications like the um 
Austin American Statesman, uh, Dallas Morning News, uh, the Bellow Collective um, is a wonderful resource for independent podcasters. I received some uh, wonderful mentions in their uh, a wonderful mention in their newsletter, in addition to a few other sources. Um, you know, Austin's NPR affiliate KUT recently uh, did a good piece on it, and it's um, you know all of that is really just kind of about um, hustle um, mm -hmm. and you know just approaching uh, press and and whatnot. Um, but it's, I think it's an interesting story. It, 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 I, I do like to think it is a quality work that um, people are responding to. Yeah, probably so. Plus I think it's also work that it could be anybody and everybody that you're talking to. It doesn't, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be someone that's super rich that you're talking to. It's be the, the person off the street. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I absolutely, the themes of the series are universal. Um, you know, change is going on everywhere, be it in Texas, be it in New York, North Carolina, California, London, Morocco, Mexico, wherever. Um, change is everywhere. And um, I, I don't think that change is something to be uh, feared in the least. In many ways, I think that change is something to be embraced, but I think it's important to grow and change responsibly. Um, you know, in the case of my hometown of Austin, uh, it is, it, it's changed immeasurably since I was a kid. It's a completely different city, but people are still moving there. We have to ask, mm -hmm. why are people still moving there? What is it that they, they like about the place? And um, a lot of that is the culture. Um, and I think it's important that we do more to protect uh, the culture that surrounds us, um, you know, be it in North Carolina, New York, Texas, where, wherever, um, because, um, you know, we, we don't want to have a monolithic culture at, at the end of the day. That is so true. So what has the show taught you about yourself? Well, I mean, no one is ever truly prepared for anything. Um, and again, it's like when I, um, you know, first started educating myself about podcasting, audio production, I thought, oh, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm going to have to find someone else to, to do this. I, I can't do this. You know, I don't come from any kind of a technical background. Um, but you get to work and you're like, no, if you want to do this right, you're going to have to learn how to do this. And, you know, you're going to have to teach yourself. And I, I think if you just kind of set to work, it's amazing um, what you can do and what you can accomplish. Um, you know, I was speaking with someone else a, a few weeks ago, you know, just talking about how I was going up and approaching people, talking to people, all of this. And she said, well, where, where does your confidence come from? Where do you get that? And I, and I had to say, well, I actually think that confidence is overrated um, because, um, you know, with all of these, all of these interviews that I do, I can assure you, I am way more nervous and uncomfortable than any of the people I am speaking with. You know, I always want to make certain that I'm phrasing my questions in a respectful way. I'm always thinking about everything that that has to be done. Um, and if there is confidence, it is a byproduct, a byproduct of the experience. Um, you know, the, the more you work, the better you're going to get. But um, when you start off, it, it, you can expect to make mistakes and get messy. But um, in the end, you're going to be stronger and better as a result of all of that. I love what you said that you have to make sure that you're phrasing things in the right way because the internet trolls are out there and they can just easily cancel you like that. So I love that, that you, that we, and you really do, you have to put a lot of thought in what you're going to say and you have to be a great listener as well to host a podcast. 
Oh, 100%. And uh, people often ask me too, I mean, they're always impressed by the stories that um, I have captured. And, you know, they say, you know, what is your secret? What is your magic? And I, they're, they're really, you know, you cannot manufacture magic. You can't. But what you can do is you can establish trust. You can uh, approach people with respect, um, empathy. You can listen. Um, and then on top of that, though, you do have to ask specific questions. Um, I would never just go up to someone and say, can you tell me about yourself? I would maybe say, can, can you maybe describe for me your childhood home? Uh, and uh, you'd be amazed at what you can get as a result of just asking something like that. So when you start with these interviews, a lot of, like you said, a lot of people you were like going up to and just talking to them, how do they respond in the first place? So they're like, this is a strange guy talking to me. I don't want any part of it. Or was it like, oh yeah, they really wanted to have a chat and talk. Well, I mean, it, it, every person is different. You know, e every person is going to respond differently. Um, you know, it, it, and it was never like I would just go up to someone immediately with a microphone and be like, hey, you know, you get to talk. I, I would always introduce myself first, you know, tell them about what I was doing and ask if, if I could ask a few questions. Um, but usually because I, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of asking, you know, more questions about, you know, the places where I am or their personal stories connected to that place, um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, personal stories do emerge, um, but by starting, um, you know, focused in that direction, um, you know, I think people were much more receptive to, you know, opening up, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like they're sitting down in front of Barbara Walters or something. I'm asking them about, you know, why their marriage went south or, yeah, <laughs> or, some, or, something, or something to that effect, you know? So have you ever had anybody refused to not want to talk to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and so the, uh, as I said, I did a piece on a honky tonk. Um, I, I went to this uh, place in this town called Bandera, Texas called Arky Blues Silver Dollar. Um, it's like the oldest continuously operating honky tonk in Texas. It's owned by a guy named Arky Blue. Um, he's a you know country singer songwriter. He performs there every Saturday night. He's in his 80s now. I thought, oh man, I gotta talk to Arky. Gotta talk to Arky. Arky did not want to have a thing to do with this. Um, you know, he was perfectly cordial, but he just mm -hmm. did not have a, you know, and when I, he, he refused to allow me to record him. Um, when I did talk to him, he would not give an inch, but everyone around him really wanted to talk. They had all sorts of stories that they wanted to share. Um, and in the end, uh, you know, his refusal became part of the story in and of itself. And um, we, that piece really, you, you still get a really great portrait of Arky that in some ways I, I think is more fun and better than it would have been, you know, had I gotten the chance to, to, to speak with him. Um, and I, I, I kind of had to remind myself, one of my favorite pieces of new journalism is there's a terrific um, essay that uh, the journalist Gay Talese wrote for Esquire magazine in 1965 called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. Um, he was assigned with the task of interviewing Frank Sinatra. Um, Sinatra refused to talk to him at all. Um, but what he did instead is he, he interviewed everyone in Sinatra's entourage, all of the hangers-ons, and uh, it's probably the, you know, the greatest uh, portrait 
that has ever been written of Frank Sinatra. It's the real Frank Sinatra is revealed through that portrait. Um, in no way am I comparing myself to Gates Elise, but um, I think that's an important story for people to remember um, if they find themselves in a position like that. Yeah, that's true. And I love the the fact that you said the real, like the real Frank Sinatra. You're showing people the real and the real people, not the fake TV, TV stars are, are fake storylines that a lot of people put out. You're showing the real heart of America and what America was built on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful culture that's worth celebrating. Yeah. So what are your plans? You already said that you were thinking maybe doing Route 66, but are your plans of branching out from Texas to other places? Absolutely. I mean, I think that... Um, you know, my, my goal is definitely to expand the map beyond Texas. Um, I would love nothing more than to drive Route 66 from Oklahoma to California. Um, and that's something that I'm working on making happen this this fall. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, really working on that. Um, in addition to that as well, I would love nothing more than to take a trip to, to Mississippi. Um, Mississippi has a, is America's Ireland in many ways. They have a remarkable storytelling tradition. If you look at the you know canon of American writers, um, some of the greatest, William Faulkner, Richard Wright, Eudora Welty, Tennessee mm -hmm. Williams, all came from Mississippi. And I would love to you know, explore that. Mississippi is also a place where, you know, the history is always um, invading the present, um, sometimes in really ugly ways. And I'd be curious to explore that. Um, you know, certainly this could be done in New York too, or internationally as well. And um, I, I would love, I, it is my, um, I, it is my goal to find a way to continue moving forward with this. So it's just you doing all this? It is just me at this point. It is just me. Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, um, I just discovered that that was really kind of the easiest way to, to do it. Um, I don't think that it's, you know, it's not because I'm a control freak or, or, or anything like that. Um, it's just in order to get the storytelling right, um, in order for it to, it's just, it's the most efficient way that I can, uh, can work on it at, at this point. Um, as it evolves, you know, maybe that will change, um, but that's, it's really the best way I can work on it right now. So are you still acting as well or no, or is you, what's your full-time project? No, I mean, look, if an audition comes along, I'll take it. And I've had um, auditions, you know, here, here and there um, throughout, but um, you know, I think it, it, at the core of everything that I do, I mean, I am a storyteller by nature and um, this is uh, another way of storytelling that I'm really having a great time uh, pursuing and exploring. So do you think you'll ever inter interweave the storytelling of the podcast into acting, like kind of like interweave and talk to actors as well about their trips and travels? Uh, you never know. I mean, I, I'm interested in talking to, to people who are good storytellers and good talkers. So if those people happen to be actors, great. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I won't take anything off the, the table, but it has to ultimately whomever I, you know, choose to speak to, they have to serve the story that I want to tell. Um, if, if the story that I want to tell that I feel needs to be told involves them, great. Um, if not, I mean, I don't see myself, you know, seeking out, um, you know, celebrities unless mm -hmm. I think they can serve like a really great purpose or, or need. Um, you know, there, there may be some, 
I mean, certainly there, there are a number of artists that have had relationships to, to certain places that, that I would love to, to talk to um, and include. Um, but, you know, it's not a prerequisite. I also, while you were talking, I was thinking about maybe you taking these particular episodes and forming it into like little snippets for a play. <laughs> yeah, you know, one project at a time. <laughs> one project at a time. But it would play itself out perfectly for different acts, especially if you're talking about the state of Texas or things like that. Well, you know, and it, it, it could, you know, it, it, it very well could be a, you know, documentary TV series as well. I mean, there are plenty of there are plenty of possibilities. But, you know, right now I am focused on just putting together the best uh, podcast um, that I can that people want to listen to. And, you know, we're going to have fun listening to and telling other people about. Now, you mentioned earlier that someone picked up, like, wanted you to do six episodes. Let's talk about that. Six, no, it was it was initially picked up by by a network um, okay. is, is what happened. And they requested 16 episodes. I was able to fulfill 15. Um, you know, then that deal fell apart. A lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, just the reality of. Um, the advertising economy in relation to to the pandemic, you know, which is out of out of all of our all of our hands. Um, so, you know, obviously it was a disappointment, but you move forward. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So let's talk about what you're doing now. I won't I don't want to say after COVID because COVID's still not gone. But how are you moving forward? Well, I mean, my biggest, um, you know, I'm I, I've focused on growth more than anything else. So, you know, I'm constantly just finding, you know, other uh, people that I can, you know, places where I can get the word out in regard to, you know, sharing ad space with other podcasts in regard to, to getting press. Um, you know, I'm just working hard constantly just to make certain that, um, you know, there's momentum building with this. Um, and, uh, you know, I am doing research to, uh, for season two, definitely. So how do you get the marketing for because you said you're all by yourself. How do you get the marketing for all your podcast for the marketing for your podcast for people to either be on other people's podcast or for just basically get, getting out to let people hear what you're saying? Well, I mean, I think uh, a, a very effective way to, to grow is just by meeting other podcasters. Um, and, you know, I work hard to find other shows that I feel are in the same neighborhood as mine is is what I like to say, you know, story, you know, uh, podcasts that have uh, Texas settings or, you know, podcasts that have an interest in travel, um, podcasts that have an interest in storytelling. Um, and, you know, I, I do my best just to, to introduce myself. And, um, you know, really, it's like, so listen, you know, I, I really think that um, my listeners, you know, would have great interest in what you're doing. Could we arrange an, an ad swap? Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that that's really um, a very important strategy. Um, you know, also speaking with people like you helps um, and then earned media um, as, as well um, in terms of news coverage too is, is, is very valuable. Um, so it's really kind of, although those are kind of the big moving parts. Wow. So what was your most memorable interviews? You've already talked about several, but what's one that just like sticks out in your mind that you just cannot believe that you even were able to get this person to talk to you? 
Oh, well, I mean, there there are so many. I mean, there, there are some really terrific, wild, over-the-top characters. You know, you'll, you'll hear, you know, there, there's a guy in, uh, you know, an episode I have coming out at the end of the month who, um, you know, showed me his uh, stuffed rooster. And trust me, that has a whole other story attached to it that I can't get into right now. Um, you know, there was one by the name, there was a guy that I met at Archie Blue Silver Dollar, Hoot Gibson, who I just sat down, started talking to him, turned out he was a poet, and he got a whole bonus episode based on his poetry. Um, but, you know, one guy I always come back to is, um, you know, this piece I did, I went, I did a piece on this dance hall called Sefshik Hall, um, which I had never been to before. I really hadn't heard of it until about three days before I went up there. Um, you know, when people... You know, there, there are many dance halls in Texas, but I feel like the ones that always get the coverage are Green Hall and Lukenbach. You know, those are the dance halls that everybody always goes to, but there are many more. And Sefshik Hall is in a small town called Seton, Texas. It has a population of about 40. Um, it's outside a larger town called Temple. It's about an hour outside of Austin. Um, but it is now, um, by most accounts, the oldest continuously operating family-run dance hall in Texas. Um, it's the Shulock family. They run this place. Um, you know, it was opened, you know, by the family back in the early 1920s. It was almost 100 years ago. And um, I, I went there to, to do a piece on this place. And it, it's also the only uh, dance hall that I've been to where the, the dance floor is on the second level and you have to walk up this rickety staircase. And it's really is very much like stepping back in time. But I enter the dance hall and I of course look conspicuous because you know, I have my earphones, I have my microphone and this older gentleman comes up to me. He's like, you know, what do you have there? He's wearing a Stetson bolo tie, tan suit, boots. Mm -hmm. I start talking to him. Turns out um, he, he's just about three months shy of his hundredth birthday. Um, turns out I, I start talking to him. Turned out he was a Normandy veteran. Um, you know, he remembered, uh, you know, he, he his brother got married at the dance hall when he was 17. He was the best man. Um, and, um, you know, he told me that he, you know, lost his wife, you know, four years ago and that when she died, he didn't know what he was going to do, didn't go anywhere. But his niece said, come on, we're going to go dancing at Tom Sefshik. And he said, you know, I haven't been dancing in years. And she said, no, it'll come back to you. Um, and he said he proudly told me that now he goes there every Sunday. Um, and uh, one night he said he recently had danced with 32 different women. Um, and um, he uh, un sadly, you know, understandably because of COVID, he wasn't able to celebrate his 100th birthday at the hall, which is what mm -hmm. his plan had been. Um, but after the episode came out, um, you know, some people reached out to me and they said that his neighbors um, honored his 100th birthday by staging a drive-by parade and um, that um, he planned to celebrate his 101st uh, birthday at the hall this year, which would have been in May. And I believe he did. Wow. That is so cool that you would, that you, you would sit down and have that conversation and a hundred years old or close to a hundred years old and dance with 32 women in one night. Wow. Oh, I yeah. wish I had that much energy. <laughs> now he was a great Johnny, Johnny Pulshek, a great, great man. Wow. So we're almost out of time. Is there one last thing that you want to leave us with? Well, um, I, I mean, as I said, I think that um, as we, I talked about this earlier, but I'll talk about it again. Culture is around us. Um, everyone has a culture. And um, 
you know, culture is beautiful and, and worth celebrating. And, you know, look, if, if you start digging and looking in your own backyard, you will be amazed to discover the beauty and the layers of history that surround you. Um, you know, it's really important. We, we can't discount any place uh, because every place has a story. And, um, you know, you'll be amazed at what beauty can be unlocked that's sometimes hidden in plain sight. And tell us the name of your podcast again. So again, it's Vanishing Postcards. I mean, I'm talking on a podcast right now. So um, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, I'm, I'm quite confident you'll be able to find us, you know, search for Vanishing Postcard, Apple, Spotify, Google, all the usual suspects, you'll find us there. Um, but you can also find the show on uh, vanishingpostcards.com. Um, and if you want some companion uh, pictures that you can see, um, that corresponds uh, with the series. You can uh, go to Instagram, just find Vanishing Postcards on Instagram as well. I keep that account pretty active um, and you can get in touch with me there if you feel the need to reach out for any reason. Oh, I love that. The fact that you're using the Instagram, the social media to the coordinating pictures. I love that. Mm -hmm. Sure thing. So Evan, I want to thank you so much for being on Chats from the Blog Cabin. I mean, it's been a joy and I can't wait to see what you're up to next. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm 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 greatly honored. It's a it's a pleasure to talk to North Carolina. In fact, um if um I, I have to cite an inspiration for this, um it would be a North Carolinian by the name of Charles Carrollt, who um mm -hmm. traveled the country for many years. He had a television program called On the Road. And mm -hmm. um, I often find myself uh, asking, what would Charles Kuralt do as I work on this series? And uh, so uh, he's, 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 he's the North Carolina inspiration that filters into Vanishing Postcards. I love that. And he was such a great man, great North Carolinian too. Absolutely. So guys, I will drop all the links where you can find Evan's podcast, Vanishing Postcards, in the show notes. And as always, be blessed and remember, keep chatting. Chats from the Blog Cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now.